Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Good evening everyone, I'm Rick Walker Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel Hello Maverick family and new viewers A bunch of stuff to talk about tonight. Some of it tragic. Some of it will make you think. And at least one thing I think will make you laugh. We'll update the story on the main shooting. We'll talk about people being on edge. And the way people and our institutions are responding to things that they see as emergencies, as threats. And I'll give you an example of that from today, right from my own hometown, which will be a reflection of what's going on really around the world. And it all relates to the war between Israel and Hamas. I'm going to show you as well what the future of mobility looks like. And the reason I'm going to do that is because a lot of people are really jacked up and worried about 15-minute cities. And someone sent something to me. It was Well, somebody sent something to my attention today that made me scratch my head and laugh because it's obviously a mistake. <laughs> and it's illustrative. It's a, a, it just shows how paranoia will destroy you. And this is all related to 15 minute cities cars, the future of mobility, energy, and crazy thinking. I'll show, I'll show you. It's if, if you have an open mind and you're willing to really look at things objectively, this will make you laugh. And it might even make you a little bit afraid. I, I certainly, this, this is what, this is, yes, just, I have to show you. I can't talk about it anymore. The economy. The U.S. government is trying to put a positive spin and uh, on the economy, the state of the country's financial affairs. Uh, the White House is trying to spin a better narrative on the conflict in Ukraine in order to, I think, Shore up support for more spending. I'll show you that. And did Mark Meadows wear a wire for the FBI and record conversations with Donald Trump? That's the question tonight. We'll touch on that as well. And uh, that's kind of where we're at. Those are the main things so far. Oh, I better... 
write this down so I don't forget. Because I don't want to forget to run that video that will make you laugh. Okay. So we have all that and a whole lot more coming up. Don't go away. We'll get started on the other side of this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The, the world, world is watching. get into this story about that shooting. Um, okay. So what do we know tonight? At least 18 people have lost their lives in that mass shooting, as confirmed by Maine Governor Jeanette Mills. 13 others have sustained injuries. And the suspect, Robert Card, remains at large tonight an alert has been issued canada-wide for canada border security personnel so they're looking for robert card and if he tries to get into canada border guards well they'll be looking for him and they will probably catch him with the broad net that has been cast all along the Canada-U.S. border. So this harrowing incident occurred at two separate locations within Lewiston, a local bowling alley hosting a children's league event and a nearby bar. Authorities are actively investigating the situation. And uh, we do have some clips or a clip at least 
from a news conference with authorities from earlier today. Here's a picture of the man wanted for this mass shooting. Here he is, Robert Card. So during the incident at the bowling alley, witnesses described a chaotic scene where people sought refuge behind benches, tables, and even inside the bowling pin machinery. Megan Hutchison was one of the people at the alley with her daughter, and she told media that the terrifying about the terrifying moment when she saw the shooter, her 10-year-old daughter, Zoe Levesque, was actually grazed by a bullet. She said that she never thought, she said, I never thought I'd grow up and get a bullet in my leg, Zoe said. Like, why do people do this? She asks. And it's my understanding that this is something like the 560, well, over 560 mass shootings now so far this year in the United States. Now, I'm not sure exactly how those stats are compiled or exactly how they classify or qualify something as a mass shooting. But that's the stat that I read today. So in another development, the U.S. Army has released a statement regarding the suspect's service record, refuting claims that Robert Card served as a firearms instructor. Card was a reservist and was assigned to the 3rd Battalion, 304th Infantry Regiment in Seiko, Maine, where he participated in training at West Point over the summer. However, there are no records to indicate he instructed or participated in any training as a firearms instructor. So we do have this news conference. Just one moment. Let me see if I can find that, uh, these clips for you. I had it for you. Okay, we can go to this. Here's the governor, Janet Mills. Get you queued up. And here we go. So I'm a little slow on the draw here, folks. A lot of buttons to push to produce this. Here we go. And again, the governor of Maine, Janet Mills. I'm profoundly saddened to stand before you today to report that 18 people lost their lives and 13 people injured in last night's attacks. In memory of those we lost and in honor of those who were injured, President Biden and I have ordered all U.S. flags and state of Maine flags 
to be lowered to half staff immediately for the next five days. <clears throat> Maine State Police have issued a shelter in place order for Lewiston, Lisbon, and Bowdoin as the manhunt for that person of interest, Robert Card of Bowdoin, continues. <clears throat> I will let law enforcement speak to the ongoing manhunt and to their investigation, but Mr. Card is considered armed and dangerous, and police advise that Maine people should not approach him under any circumstances. I continue to strongly urge Maine people to follow the direction of state and local law enforcement amid this ever-changing situation. Please, if you see anything suspicious, please call 911. There are still many things we don't yet know about these attacks, <clears throat> but the full weight of my administration is behind law enforcement's efforts to capture the person of interest, Robert Card, to hold whoever is responsible for this atrocity accountable under the full force of state and federal law, and to seek full justice for the victims and their families. We, are, we cannot and we will not rest in this endeavor. My administration is co coordinating closely with local, regional, and federal officials to respond to this shooting. I have spoken twice with President Biden. I've spoken with Vice President Harris, Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas, <clears throat> and Secretary of Health and Human Services Becerra, all of whom have called me last night to express the Biden administration's full and unwavering support and to offer any and all help that we, the people of Maine, might, might require. The governors of our neighboring New England states and of other states have contacted me to offer aid, and I am sincerely grateful for their friendship and support. We've been in touch with every member of the Maine congressional delegation, all of whom have offered their full support, for which I am also grateful. <clears throat> I also spoke with Mayor Carl Shaleen and Auburn Mayor, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Jason Levesque last night to re reiterate that we are standing by them <clears throat> and that we are ready to provide any help people in these communities need and to deploy all available state resources including grief counselors and other mental health services, we need to help our communities heal. If you or a person you love needs someone to talk to during this difficult time, please call or text 988 for free and confidential counseling, 988. This is just the latest mass shooting in America. The nonprofit Gun Violence Archive is calling. Okay, so that gets us back to where we're at now. And again, uh, they're on alert all along the Canada-U.S. border. They're looking for Robert Card, 40 years old. Stay with me. We'll move on to other news on the other side of this. 
historic news. The world is watching. Okay, so what are we going to talk about now? Well, hmm, what should we move on to here next? The United Auto Workers has reached a tentative deal with Ford. Both parties have confirmed that they have that tentative deal. Union leaders are saying record profits mean record contracts. Ford also issued a statement saying the company is pleased to have reached the tentative agreement on the new labor contract. In uh, the exact words of the Ford executives, Ford is proud to assemble the most vehicles in America and employ the most hourly auto workers. We are focused on restarting Kentucky truck plant, Michigan assembly plant, and Chicago assembly plant, calling 20,000 Ford employees back to work and shipping our full lineup to our customers again. The agreement is subject to ratification by Ford's UAW represented employees consistent with the ratification process. The UAW will share, will share details with its membership. That's the Ford statement. So you're talking about 57,000 UAW members in the United States who will vote on this deal. And this has been a fairly long labor dispute with um, UAW members launching their strike against Ford General Motors and Stellantis back on uh, September 15th. In total, the union, the UAW, represents 150,000 workers across the U.S. They were demanding a 40% pay increase combined over the four-year duration of the new contract, as well as a 32-hour work week at 40 hours pay. And over the past few weeks, workers from other plants also began strikes with about 45,000 UAW members walking off the job. But that is positive news tonight. Labor relations getting to a better place. And that's good news for the economy and people in general. If you can keep things rolling, then that's a big bonus. And today, National Economic Council Director Lael Brainerd uh, decided it was time to put a positive spin on some of those economic numbers. So we can go to the White House now. For comments from her explaining I guess well maybe not explaining but I think trying to put a, a the economy in a better light now you can take these numbers any way you want my assessment here is that these numbers being released today are Pumped up, puffed up, sugar-coated. No way. Don't believe it. The economy's not as strong as the
the Biden administration is uh, today trying to make it out to be. Here she is. Might be a good moment to look back to this time last year and recall what the experts were saying about the U.S. economy. A year ago, the consensus view was that unemployment would need to go up to four and a half percent and the economy would need to stall out in order to get inflation down to where it is today. It turns out that was wrong. And you can see that here in the chart. U.S. growth has been much stronger than the naysayers believed. Unemployment has remained below 4% this entire time, but inflation has actually fallen in line with that forecast. In fact, today we learned that GDP grew by 4.9% in the third quarter, even as core PCE inflation on a quarterly basis fell to 2.4%, its lowest level in nearly three years. That strong economy is a testament to the resilience of American consumers and American workers supported by President Biden's plan to grow the economy by growing the middle class. Consumer spending is robust as Americans have rejoined the labor force in record numbers and real wages are up over the last year. President Biden vowed to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, and that's exactly what we're seeing in the data. Last week's survey of consumer finances showed that in Americans' median net worth is 37% higher than it was before the pandemic adjusted for inflation. That's the largest gain in the history of the survey, and the wealth gains were strongest for the bottom half of the income distribution and for Blacks and Hispanic families that have traditionally not seen as large gains. Just yesterday, the UAW and Ford reached a historic tentative agreement that provides a record increase for auto workers and is a testament to the president's strategy to ensure a strong future for auto manufacturing here in America with good union jobs. That's good news for American workers and good news for the future of the US auto industry. So in the data in that agreement, we can see that the president's strategy is yielding real results, even as we continue to work to bring costs down. Thanks, Liv. Um, so, I wanted to, so the president celebrated the GDP report, saying that uh, it's a testament to the resilience of the American consumer. But the report also showed that personal savings dropped by 360 million. Do you have a message to Americans who are dipping into those savings to afford the inflation? Well, again, as I said, what you are seeing is Americans are back in the labor force in record numbers, much higher participation that was anticipated and higher than pre-pandemic. So they're at work and that uh, is showing up also in the wealth number. So if you actually look at American households median wealth in inflation adjusted terms, it's actually gone up since before the pandemic. So I think the US consumer, US workers, they are 
absolutely the reason that we're seeing this resilience in the economy, and they are actually seeing increase uh, in their wealth over this period. Well, what about a message to Americans who are dipping into savings to afford their lifestyle? So I think that, again, because net wealth is rising, because real incomes are rising, because Americans are working, that's exactly what we would want to see in the economy. Are you no longer worried about a recession in the near term? So I think the data in recent months uh, has all pointed in the same direction, which is that we are seeing strong ongoing growth with inflation coming down. We're seeing unemployment staying below 4%, 20 months in a row now, with inflation coming down. And so those uh, data, which have been sustained now uh, for a relatively long period of time, suggest that there's ongoing resilience there. Um, we're seeing small business formation at a record rate. There's a lot of um, dynamism in the economy that people are really taking notice of. And you know that the president has a historic legislation that is leading to historically high amounts of construction in the manufacturing sector. It's really leveraging private sector investment. So for all those reasons, the ability to see the economy continue growing with uh, inflation down, strongest growth, lowest inflation among the G7. Georgia. Thanks a lot. Since this GDP number was released, student loan repayments have begun for tens of millions of Americans. Is this a headwind that you see in the U.S. economy for Q4? What I'd like to see uh, student debt relief go forward. He's continuing to look to find avenues to do that in the wake of the Supreme Court decision. We've already announced a number of programs that have led to uh, large Okay, so for a large number of Americans, but they can give you these numbers. I can tell you that every government all the time, they always spin those numbers on the economy. And they always make try to make them look better than they really are. They do it with the uh, the methodology they employ in the collection and analysis of the data. So for instance, unemployment rate, they stop counting people who have given up looking for work. So if you're no longer actively looking for work, then they don't even count you among the unemployed. So the uh, unemployment rate is 3.8% right now. Last year, Well, the average, I guess, in the long term, according to the stats I'm looking at here, is 5.71. My guess is it's much higher than 3.8. Much higher than that. But, you know, those are the stats they give us. It's all about how they ask the questions, the numbers they they end up getting. Um now, you can make your own assessment based on your day-to-day -day experiences. What's it cost for a loaf of bread? What do your groceries cost? Do you have a job? Do you see much unemployment? Do you see people living on the streets? Do you see 10 cities? How much homelessness is there? 
Can people afford to buy a home? I would say overall, the United States is probably in better economic shape than Canada is right now in many ways. Depends on where you go in the U.S., though. Anyway, those are the numbers. That's what they're doing. They're trying to spin up a more positive image for the Biden administration. But, you know, I'm not quite buying it. I think that they're massaging the numbers. They always do that. If they're saying 3.8, I bet you it's closer to 6 or 7% for unemployment. That's just my assessment now. Also today, we had this uh, Pentagon briefing. With Brigadier General Patrick Ryder. Let's just uh, dip in on that briefly. And then we've also got John Kirby back at the White House, where he is also trying to spin things, I think, to uh, generate ongoing support for the war in Ukraine, generate ongoing financial support, that is. And uh, here's Patrick Ryder. And received updates on Israel's operations to restore security. Talking about the situation During in Israel. Discussions, Secretary Austin reiterated the importance of ensuring humanitarian aid can be delivered into Gaza and repeated our calls for Israel to ensure the protection of civilians. Readout of the call has been posted to the DOD website. In addition to the security assistance for Israel we've announced previously, I can confirm that in addition to the Iron Dome interceptors we're flowing to Israel, we're also planning to provide the two U.S. Iron Dome systems currently in our inventory to Israel to help further bolster their air defense capabilities and protect citizens from rocket attacks. For operation security reasons, I'm not going to discuss shipment timelines or delivery dates, and we'll defer to Israel to make any announcements regarding future deployment and use of these systems. As part of our efforts... With it. Just one moment. Conflict sure. ...and further bolster U.S. force protection capabilities. I can confirm that since our initial force posture announcement... Approximately 900 troops have subsequently deployed or are in the process of deploying to the U.S. Central Command area of responsibility. These include forces that have been on prepared to deploy orders and which are deploying from the continental United States. Deployed and deploying units include a terminal high-altitude area defense battery from Fort Bliss, Texas, Patriot batteries from Fort Sill, Oklahoma, Patriot and Avenger batteries from Fort Liberty, North Carolina, and associated air defense headquarters elements from Fort Bliss and Fort, Fort Cavados, Texas. While I won't talk specific deployment locations for these forces, I can confirm that they are not going to Israel, and that again, they are intended to support regional deterrence efforts and further bolster U.S. force protection capabilities. Shifting gears, the White House announced today a $150 million security assistance package for Ukraine to support Ukraine's urgent security needs. This marks the 49th provision of equipment from DOD inventories to Ukraine since August 2021. This crucial security assistance includes air defense capabilities, artillery, ammunition, anti-tank weapons, and other important aid to help Ukraine counter Russia's ongoing aggression and continue its fight for independence and freedom. 
As you've heard Secretary Austin and other senior leaders say, the United States will continue to stand firmly with Ukraine and we will continue to have their backs. Finally, the department released its annual report on suicide in the military for calendar year 2022 today. This report serves as the official release authority for annual suicide data on service members and their families. The report also highlights current and ongoing department-wide efforts to reduce suicide risk among service members and their families. Although the department is cautiously encouraged by some of the information in this year's annual report, we remain deeply concerned about suicide in the military community. The health, safety, and well-being of our military community is essential to the readiness of our total force. Every death by suicide is a tragedy. As part of broader efforts to ensure we take care of our people, which includes Secretary Austin establishing the Suicide Prevention and Response Independent Review Commission, the department is implementing a campaign with five lines of effort and enabling tasks to augment our suicide prevention and response capabilities. Based on findings from this report, the department will continue its efforts aimed at effectively meeting the needs of our population at greatest risk of suicide and continue to support military families. The report is available online on the DOD website. And with that, I'll be happy to take your Okay. That's a big issue too, suicides among veterans, people in the military. The sacrifices they make, incalculable. They pay literally with their lives, sometimes physically, which, you know, if they're, if they're killed while serving and in many respects, they pay with their lives because of the mental anguish that they suffer after serving. I've seen that firsthand too with other first responders, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, they, they see the worst of it. Other people in other lines of work do too, doctors, people who deal with mental health issues, so many different people in various positions of responsibility and public trust. A lot of people sacrificing every day. We all contribute to our communities. Some people are in more pain than others. And uh, yeah, that's a very serious issue. I've spoken to some veterans just in the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, they've talked to me about some of the friends they've lost to suicide. So it's a big issue. And we should be mindful of it. Um, also today at the White House, John Kirby trying to, um, well, he's, he's painting a picture of the war in Ukraine that does not mesh at all with what Vladimir Putin is saying, and not at all, it doesn't mesh at all with what a lot of, um, I would say, independent and alternative media people are saying with regard to the conflict in Ukraine, because Kirby is saying that Russian forces are demoralized and he has been 
a painting. Well, today he paints a picture of, uh, of uh, the Russian military in a state of almost disarray. Shooting. Talking about shooting. Russian soldiers shooting their own soldiers for not performing. I don't know. I'm going to let this roll. You can make your own assessment. Here we go. For him and for the national security team. I do want to, if, if you'll allow me to, just to take a couple of minutes to update you on the battlefield situation in Ukraine. Uh, as we have said publicly, Russia has launched a renewed offensive in eastern Ukraine across multiple lines, including around Avdivka, Liman, and Kupiansk. Now, I spoke about this in a gaggle recently, but this offensive was not a surprise. We've been watching this build and come. We've warned that President Putin still aims to conquer Ukraine, and we've been working to ensure that Ukraine has the equipment it needs to defend its territory. Just today, you may have noticed, we uh, announced another package of security assistance, which includes air defense capabilities, javelin anti-tank missiles, more uh, artillery ammunition, and more uh, ammunition for the high-mobility artillery rocket system, otherwise known as HIMARS. Uh, thus far, using all these capabilities, the Ukrainians have been able to hold on and hold it on the defense against this uh, offensive, successfully repelling Russian tank columns that have been advancing on Avdivka. Since the 11th of October, Russia has suffered significant losses in this offensive attempt of theirs, including at least 125 armored vehicles around Avdivka and more than a battalion's worth of equipment. We expect more Russian attacks to come. This is a dynamic conflict, and we need to remember that Russia still maintains some offensive capability and may be able to achieve some tactical gains in the coming months. Now, to pursue that outcome in Avdivka and elsewhere on the battlefield, Russia continues to show no regard for the lives of its, its soldiers. We believe they have suffered thousands of casualties in their effort to conduct this offensive, some of them on the orders of their own leaders. We have information that the Russian military has been actually executing soldiers who refuse to follow orders. We also have information that Russian commanders are threatening to execute entire units if they seek to retreat from Ukrainian artillery fire. Russia's mobilized forces remain undertrained, under-equipped, and unprepared for combat. As was the case during their failed winter offensive last year, the Russian military appears to be using what we would call human wave tactics, just throwing masses of these poorly trained soldiers right into the fight. No proper equipment, no leadership, no resourcing, no support. It is unsurprising that Russian forces are suffering from poor morale, given all these conditions. Russia's re renewed attempt at an offensive is a sobering reminder that President Putin is not giving up on his aspirations to take all of Ukraine. And as long as Russia continues its brutal assault, we have to continue to support the Ukrainian people in their self-defense because his intentions are clear. You heard the president talk about this last week. He basically said that if Western weapons to Ukraine stopped, Ukraine would have a week to live. So to ensure that we can continue to do that, it's critical that Congress step up and pass the supplemental request that the president put forward last week, which included a significant amount of resources for Ukraine for their self-defense as for their humanitarian and economic needs. Um, it's time now to, to move forward with that supplemental funding because time clearly is not uh, on our side or on, or on that of uh, Ukraine going forward. So with that, thanks. 
And that's that's what it's all about right there. That's why he said what he said. It's because they are trying to justify and shore up support for more money, more support. That's what it's all about. There's the truth. He didn't come out and say it that way, but you could, you don't need to read between the lines. You just have to look at it and you go, oh, that's it. It's right there. What's the truth? I'm not there. I'm not on the, I'm not on the, on the front lines fighting that battle. None of us are. So we're at the mercy of all the information. Some of it's true. Some of it isn't. A lot of it's a lie. Two different sides, three different sides, 10 different sides, an unlimited number of sides. We don't know. All you can do is take all the information and try to make sense of it. And see if you can figure out what the truth is by looking at everything. What's going on with Donald Trump? Oh, my. If this is true, holy Toledo. Did Mark Meadows wear a wire and work with the FBI? Did he record conversations with Donald Trump? So allegedly Mark Meadows was working for the FBI as an informant and wore a wire to record all the conversations that he had with Donald Trump while he was serving as chief of staff. Now, if that's true, well, that could set off another firestorm. Is that even constitutional? Hmm. Some would say it's criminal. I don't know. We do know that as of yesterday, we reported that Mark Meadows, it appears, will be cooperating with... Um, those trying to convict Donald Trump in court. Trump didn't seem too concerned about it yesterday, but now we're hearing that he worked for the FBI as an informant that Mark Meadows did. And if he recorded all those conversations and they have them and they can, if I don't know, I don't know what the law says regarding the use of such recordings in a court of law. We're talking about recording the president secretly Yeah, there must be something to it. I don't think it would have gone this far in, in terms of uh, media attention if it wasn't true. Here's an old clip of Trump talking about loyalty and how he views it and how he deals with people that he feels betray him. Just for a little context tonight. I'm so loyal to people. Maybe I'm loyal to a fault, but I'm so loyal to people that when somebody's slightly disloyal to me, I look upon it as a great act of horror. And how are you different than you were three or four years ago? Well, I used to say, and in fact, I think I said in the first book that, and maybe this was foolish, but I, I really meant it, that someday I'd like to maybe lose everything for a period of time to see who's loyal and who's not loyal. And I frankly, I found out a lot of things. <laughs> Did you find out who's loyal and not loyal? Tell you what, and you can't guess it. You can't predict it. You think certain people will be loyal no matter what. 
And it turns out that they're not. And you just you just can't predict it. It's very difficult. And that I think I would have treated people differently. I think that you know some of the people that were most loyal to me are people that I didn't think would be. Some of the people that were least loyal to me are people. Uh, you got I it. I think I would have treated them differently. I think I would have treated different groups differently. I would have wiped the floor with the guys that weren't loyal, which I will now do, which is great. You know, I love getting even. But I will. You I will blow wipe. up. You love getting even. Oh, absolutely. You don't believe you don't believe in the eyes of the eye. You do. No, I know you're welcome. I think you do. But anyway, but but it, tell me, I mean, you you're going to get even with something. Yeah, I mean, it's given the opportunity. It's given the opportunity. I will get even with some people who are disloyal to me. Even though you didn't endorse me, <laughs> never forget. I thought that was a kind of an interesting and timely clip. You know, I've known some very rich people, still do. I'm not one of them. <laughs> but um, a couple of people in particular that brings to mind for me because, uh, you know, I, I see people with a lot of money sometimes surrounded by folks. In particular, there's one, one friend of mine who puts on events. And I'll see him surrounded by celebrities. And these are celebrities that he pays. Not to be around him. Well, maybe. But to participate in the event. And they just fawn over him. And others as well. Money is a funny thing. It, uh, it, it attracts people. I think people think that if they can get up close to someone who has money, that somehow it will rub off on them or that they'll somehow end up richer. I don't know that it actually works that way. I guess for some people it can if you become kind of a groupie. But I've never been, never since kind of seen that sort of thing happen. I've never been envious really since then of people with a lot of money, really rich people, because I learned that uh, when you're in, a, in that kind of position, you never really know who your friends are. And that's exactly what's going on with Donald Trump right now. And it's sad and it's a statement on human nature. People suck up to you. And I've had that happen with me on a personal level where, you know, people at certain points in my career in broadcasting wanted to get very close to me. And it was a strange thing to have to go through. I learned so much because in their minds, I had become somehow very successful and people wanted to get close to it. And I learned a lot about people because, uh, Later, when it looked like things were coming to an end. Then you found out who your real friends were. When you have, when it looks like you're going to end up losing some stuff or maybe losing everything. Then you find out who actually stands with you and who doesn't. Been there, done that. 
perception becomes their reality. Me, I'm still here. Same as I ever was. I never really went up or down. I just survived. I'll be right back. The New World Order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. Okay, let's talk about this 15-minute city thing. First of all, I'm not going to sit here and scare the crap out of you like other people do. I'm just going to be straight up about it, give you my own assessment. You can believe what you want to believe. 15-minute cities, I have issues with them, not to the level that some other people have. Because paranoia will destroy you. and. Uh, I think there's a lot of paranoia uh, centered in within the 15-minute city. On the other side of it, I think a lot of other people maybe aren't concerned enough about them. I think it's. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, and I'll I'll get to that. You know, so I know that on the one side, some people think the 15-minute cities are going to be result in or, or represent the coming of essentially some sort of a, a prison for the masses where you won't be allowed to leave and they're going to lock you down. And it's the most dystopian vision of the future ever. And you won't be able to leave your district and uh, stuff like that. I, I think that's, I don't think that's really what they are at all. I think that uh, I think a lot of that talk has just gone to crazy places, insane places. And the people selling you those ideas, they're either profiting from it or they're nuts. One or the other. Um, the truth of the matter is, I think that there are some people out there who have embraced this. I think it is a globalist driven vision of the future world economic forum um communofascistic authoritarianism combination of these things coupled with the uh, you know environmentalism and so on hang on another message coming in here um a lot of it honestly is about cars in my view. Um, I'm not sure what this clip is coming in here. I don't know what it is. I don't know why this is being sent to me. Um, a lot of it is about cars, environmentalism. People, uh, you know, they're being told you can live in these 15-minute cities and uh, within a 15-minute radius of you, you will be able to go do all your banking, your shopping. Uh, you probably won't need to own a car. 
everything you need will be within 15 minutes of where you live. And so it means really more population density, packing more people into a smaller area so that less travel is needed. They will penalize people who do want to travel with taxation. That taxation will be applied if you leave your district using a motor vehicle. When you cross over that borderline, they will hit you probably with a tariff or uh, a toll, like, like going down a toll road. So they'll charge you essentially a tax for driving your car because they don't want you driving cars, burning up energy. They want you to just live in a smaller area. So if you choose to travel a lot, essentially, they're going to tax you for the privilege of, of traveling, which is unconstitutional because we do have freedom of mobility, freedom of movement enshrined in the Constitution, but they'll tax you for it in the name of environmentalism. So that's really, I think, the biggest thing. And of course, yes, there is tracking, but they don't need really to do that with, you know, the lampposts in front of your home. They're doing that with your car. They're doing that with your phone. They're doing it to you already. And yes, there is surveillance going on. You know, there's there's the middle ground there, right? But things have progressed to a point of, honestly, today, this is why I think that there's insanity on both sides and very little middle ground. I'm not a fan of the 15-minute city concept. I don't like it. Essentially, I think people in some places are living in 15-minute cities already. My, you know, my daughter lives in downtown Toronto. So when I go to visit her, I would say where she lives, it, it is the, the early f- version of a 15-minute city because if you live in an apartment building or a condo, you everything you ha- want and need is within walking distance. No need to own a car. You can take public transit wherever you want to go. You're probably in that situation further ahead without a vehicle further ahead taking public transit because you don't need to worry about parking and all the hassle and the traffic and the congestion and everything you need is within a short distance anyway. That's the case. Even when I go to like, when I've been to places like Las Vegas, um, you know, I used to rent a car every time I would go to Vegas and then I've, I've learned it's, it's kind of not worth it because of all the congestion. So if you're going down to the convention center in Las Vegas, you're further ahead taking an Uber or a Lyft, which is what I use when I'm there. Because when I've rented cars, you have to go through all the traffic and then you have to find a parking lot and then you're paying for a bunch of parking. And then you sometimes have to walk a long distance from the parking lot because there's so many people who have parked anyway. You're parking a long distance. But if you take an Uber or a Lyft, then... They'll drop you off right near the front entrance. You get out, you take your stuff, and and away you go. And for the cost of the parking, you've already had your ride. And when you're ready to go, you just call. Anyway, th- there are pros and cons to both both sides of that. But if you want to drive out of the city, then you want a car. So then I would rent a car. So it's just about the most efficient way to get around. Those are sort of the main issues. A lot of it is about cars. And the... And, I'd say the environmental extremists, if you want to call them that, 
are very focused on cars and that's a lot of a lot of what these 15 minute city concepts are about but some people are using it as a political tool to get people to i would say subscribe to a particular political ideology or particular way of thinking or just to generate clicks and likes and even donations and they use it as a form of um I would say even fear-mongering in a way because they take it to an extreme. And today something happened. This was sent to me and it just, it just took it to a whole new level of stupidity. Honestly, I have to be just blunt and, and it, and I'm sorry, but that's what it is today. It just reached a new level of honestly stupidity. And some of you won't want to hear what I'm about to say, but I'm going to show you anyway, because this is just stupid. And this is posted by a guy. I think he's a nice fella. Means well, but this is just dumb. I just, I can't take it anymore. I just, it's, it's baking my brain. And why people continue to follow this, I... I'm sorry, but I have to show you, okay? I have to. I can't resist. It's just too much. Too much. Are you ready? Okay, look, this is Gordon. Gordon, I love you, man. Okay? But come on. Come on. Seriously. This is the city of Peterborough, Ontario. So Gordon, who a lot of people followed to Ottawa, for the non-voy, convoy, convoy, non-voy nonsense, it turned out to be whatever. He's still going on. And Gordon, come on, man. Gordon today posted this. Gordon says that this is the city of Peterborough carved up into 15-minute districts, 15-minute cities within the city of Peterborough, Ontario says, here is Peterborough 15-minute cities laid out in color. Okay? So this isn't actually like what Gordon posted this. He shared this, I guess. Okay? And this is from somebody else. But Gordon shared this. Come on, man. Come on. What the heck are you sharing here? And I'm not sure who the original poster is. This is attributed to, um, what is it, Penny Penny Jones? Come on, be careful about what you're posting, Gordon. A lot of people pay attention to you. And this is ridiculous. Okay? Penny Jones, I guess. Like, just, come on. What, it's not, these, these are not 15-minute districts. That's a garbage pickup map. That's like the zones for Peterborough for the waste management schedule. That's what that is. It says so right on it. And people are sharing that because they believed it. They believe that it's 15-minute city districts in the city of Peterborough. It's the, it's the calendar that the municipality sends out to people so you know what day your garbage is going to be picked up on. Okay? 
that's the truth. It says so right on the thing. That's what it says right on it. People, I guess you can't read. Come on. Very tough. Find your collection zone. <laughs> okay. And then on the bottom right-hand corner, it says household hazardous waste, electronics, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it's all about garbage pickup. And the day of the week that you get your garbage picked up, it depends on what zone you live in. That's why it's all color-coded. These are This is not a 15-minute city map. But it sure scares some people who are either illiterate or don't take even 10 seconds to look at what's on the picture. People believing this. Now, that's not to say that the city of Peterborough isn't engaged in the idea of creating, you know, 15-minute city districts. They are. And um, I think the mayor of Peterborough has come out. I believe he's in favor of it, or has been. And I can show you some references from Peterborough. I had them queued up here. Some references showing that, yes, the city of Peterborough is interested in 15-minute cities. Where'd we go? I sort of got some of these things disappear off my tabs in the course of doing. Well, it's easy enough to find them again. Um, easy enough. So here's Green Up, Peterborough Examiner. Yes, definitely looking at uh, 15 minute cities. Here we go. Here's an article from the Peterborough Examiner. This goes back to 2021. Peterborough could become a 15 minute city, it says, with schools online and many people working from home. This, of course, you know, talking about um, pandemic life. Um, Maybe odd to imagine what life was like when you commuted to and from work, perhaps with a stop at the school to drop off the kids. Imagine being able to walk your kids to school or daycare, commute to work, enjoy recreational opportunities and be able to pick up what you need from the store. Imagine being able to do all that while always being within a 15 minute walk or bike ride from your residence. This might seem like a fantasy, but there is a growing interest in the 15 minute city urban planning concept. This concept offers many ideas that can be extrapolated to various situations supporting active transportation and the livability of our own community. And it goes on. Um, climate crisis, impact of COVID-19, uh, talking about planners throughout the world have suggested various travel times, but the basic concept is the same. More sustainable and convenient cities where there is less reliance on vehicles right there, and more emphasis on residents' well-being. And they talk about, you know, more working from home, less commuting, less traffic, less congestion, more urban density. Complete streets are designed to be safe and inviting for all road users, incorporating design and infrastructure that supports walking, cycling, and vehicle users of all ages, abilities, and needs. 
when the built environment supports safe walking and wheeling in ways that are inclusive and accessible for all individuals, there's also a positive influence on the rates of active school travel. Hang on just a second here. So, yeah. Here in Peterborough, it says GreenUp recognizes the power of engaging communities in the planning process. Programs like Neighbor Plan and Student Travel Planning facilitate participatory planning activities to empower, educate, and engage communities in the planning of their own neighborhoods. So they are actively engaged in planning for the future, and a lot of people are embracing this 15-minute city concept. Some cities are actively engaged in trying to now build such communities. What is it about? It's about the things that I've described. And I don't want some of those things. I don't want to be restricted on where I'm allowed to drive, whether I should be allowed to have a car or even own a vehicle. And there are some who believe that uh, the future would be better if people were not allowed to own their own vehicles. And even the car companies have embraced that very idea. And they did so years ago, even long before uh, we started talking about 15 minute cities, because I can recall going to auto shows. Oh man, it's got to be 10, 12 years ago. And companies, the auto companies were already beginning to look at themselves and talk about themselves in public presentations as mobility companies, not so much automotive companies. The CEOs of um, you know, some of the major auto manufacturers, I sat through speeches at auto shows, listening to them talk about their own companies this way, because they knew that their industry was going to go be going through a massive transformation. And we're, we're experiencing that right now. We're at the beginning stages of that with this uh, transformation to an electrified vehicle future being driven not by market demand, not by the people, but by government and corporations like Ford, General Motors, Honda, Kia, all of these big companies moving along and in harmony with that because they're being incentivized to do so with government grants and regulations. But is it good for people? Well, I, I don't think it's good for freedom. I don't think it's good for freedom at all. And I can tell you that a lot of other people don't think it's good for freedom that way either. Now, I'm not as paranoid about these 15-minute cities as a lot of other people. I try to see the, you know, get the right balance in my mind about and look at things objectively. You know, but the one thing that I think is central to the whole thing is vehicle ownership. Now, here's Katie Hopkins. You'll recognize Katie, prominent political figure, conservative, I would say. And here she is on True Conservative Minutes on YouTube. And uh, she's talking about this very thing, vehicle 
ownership in the future as envisioned by the globalists. Okay, Katie, take it away. You may have heard that in Wales, there is a new law going to be enforced that says where there was formerly 30 miles an hour, the default speed setting in those 30 mile an hour zones will be 20 miles an hour. I don't know if you've ever driven your car at 20 miles an hour, but it literally feels as if you're going backwards. They say the idea is to lower noise emissions and to encourage people to cycle or to take public transport to recognise that a car isn't the fastest option. I mean, the absurdity of all of that rationale is obvious, but like, what are people going to do? Drive up to the 20 miles an hour zone, park their car, get out, walk that bit, and then what? Realise that they've left their car the other side of it. How does this work for the elderly who can't walk or bicycle wherever they feel like it? And what about mums with small kids in strollers? Are they supposed to just, what, throw them on their shoulder and get on the bike? I also think it's really disingenuous to keep kind of explaining this stuff away with false rationale that has nothing to do with the real reason behind it. I heard a lady on the radio say, well, if fuel prices can continue to go up, people will be put off from using their cars. And that's exactly the point. That's the real strategy behind all of this, to make it as inconvenient as possible to use your car in order that you change your behavior and we begin the process of taking away the right to own a private vehicle here in the UK. I believe and I believe it's absolutely the strategic plan that nobody in the UK will own a private car within five years. I don't believe you will have the right to do that. It also helps explain things like 20, 30 miles of restricted speeds on motorways. People asking, why is it 60 miles an hour? Why is it 50 miles an hour? And you'll be told, oh, emissions or greener targets. But in fact, it's all about dissuading you from using the private vehicle. And for people who say, oh, yes, but electric's the answer. Not one day it won't be because there'll be an countrywide electric fleet, you will have to summon it using an app and eventually that will be restricted as well. Going back to COVID and that whole restricted radius that you were allowed to live in five kilometres from your home address, it's not too hard to see how that was some early conditioning for a time when not only do you not have the freedom to own a vehicle, not only do you not have the freedom to drive, but you no longer have the freedom to go more than five kilometres from your home address. And undoubtedly, you'll have had to have earned social credits in order to be able to do exactly that. Wales is just another glimpse of this bigger strategic plan that's in play. So... Yeah, I think it's a war on cars. I think it's a war on mobility. I think they do want to restrict movement through a variety of um, incentives and penalties. I think that's all very true. How far will it go? I, I don't think these 15-minute cities will manifest into prisons. I think it's easy to sell that idea to people after going through the pandemic.
where they locked us down, which they never should have done. In the end, people won't stand for it anyway. If everyone is locked into a district of, you can't leave more than five kilometer notes, people are not going to accept it. <coughs> and it just, it's, that, that would be so far. Would you accept it? No, you wouldn't. You would defy it. People, especially in Canada and the U.S., who love freedom en masse would absolutely say no. Guaranteed. So this idea that we're all going to end up locked in 15-minute cities, be unable to leave, people won't accept it. We're never going to let it go that far. But will they take our cars away? They could. They absolutely could. And they are so misguided. So, you know, I, I'm just, that's my opinion. I just don't think it's as bad as some people say, and it's not nearly as benign as other people say or as harmless. It's not. There are real concerns here, and we need to get engaged in the political process to make sure things don't deteriorate to a point of horror and dystopia. But people won't, won't accept it anyway. And any government that tries to do that to people, It'll get shut down. It'll be the government that gets shut down, not the people, when it gets to that point. I guarantee it. Nobody's going to be restricting people on that level and preventing you from leaving at all your home within a five-kilometer radius. <coughs> you will Constitutionally, you are allowed to travel, and that will stand up in court. And they cannot take that away from you for a prolonged period of time. Maybe in a certain instance, if there's a public emergency, like they issued a shelter-in-place order in Maine because there's a gunman running around, worried, afraid. Yeah. But that's temporary, and that's in the interest of public safety for sure. Now. Again, you can believe what you want to believe. But I see a lot of exaggerations. And again, I mean, I to, to just illustrate my point one more time. This, this is this is the stuff. This this is why you need to just get get things back in into proper perspective here. Okay. People are flipping out about this online tonight. Some people. Other people are laughing because some people are seeing what it is. It's the garbage pickup map for the city of Peterborough. Other people are flipping out over this, even in the comments on social media. Because they think this is the future 15-minute cities or 15-minute districts within the city of Peterborough. And it's being shared. It's being shared and promoted by somebody who's put himself out there as a leader of the freedom movement and selling the 15-minute city idea or selling the fear to people in order to further gin up support for what he's doing, I guess, for what others are doing. Like, it's just, it's stupid. I'm sorry, it's just stupid. 
I'm just, it's just, it's laughable. That's, and some people actually believe it, but that's okay. I don't know how much clearer I can be. It's up to you. It's up to you. I can only show you it's what's going on. Concerns? Yes, there are some. But my God, some of this stuff has been taken to a level of absurdity that it just, it, it, it literally bakes my brain cells. Just trying to wrap my head around why some people buy into it. I continue to follow it. Especially after failure, after failure, after failure. Like those notices of liability. Like, pff, three years of handing out notices of liability. And I said from the very first time I saw one, I said, that doesn't make sense. They don't, that won't work. And people kept handing them out en masse to the point where even I've been receiving notices of liability. Me. I didn't inject anybody with anything. And I didn't tell anybody to go to get injected with anything. And I haven't been injected with anything. And I'm getting a notice of liability. Email to me, which I promptly ignored because they don't work. There's no legal foundation for those things to stand on. Anyway, it's just stupid. That's more stupidity, and this is more stupidity. And that's why, because of that kind of stuff, the people on the freedom side keep on losing and losing and losing and losing and losing. It makes me wonder if some of this stuff isn't presented to people on purpose to misdirect, misinform in a way that ends up wasting a lot of people's time and energy. How dumb is it all? Pretty darn dumb. Really dumb. Really dumb. Like it or not, though, you know, the technology, the technological change that we're going through, it's coming whether you like it or not. All right. It's coming. The internet is here. Information-based society, it's upon us. It's coming. So just, uh, I say, learn to live with it. Try to turn things to your advantage as much as possible. Embrace it. Minimize the damage. Accentuate the positive, if there is any. And, uh, and don't be afraid. Change is inevitable. It's the one constant in the universe. Everything changes. There's nothing we can do to stop it. There will always be change. The best thing we can do is adapt, learn, and hopefully prosper. And make life better for everyone around us and ourselves as we go through these changes. So I'm going to now run this because... Electric vehicles, they're coming, they're here, and there's going to be more of them, whether we like it or not, because the governments around the world are embracing this, encouraging this, forcing this. Some of it, some of the stuff that's going on out there is actually pretty cool. You may remember the old RX-7 sports car from Mazda. Well, today at the Japan Mobility Show, a show... Um, which features really the future of transportation for the world. Um, Mazda unveiled a new concept car called the iconic SP. 
And it's uh, a car that I think actually could represent a, a brighter future because it's not solely dependent on electricity. It uses electricity, but it's all, it can also run on hydrogen. It has um, a dual rotary engine in it, which harkens back as a, I guess, a tribute to the RX-7, which used a Wankel rotary engine in its day. And um, so I did this report for my automotive show today. It hasn't run anywhere else yet. This is fresh. It's new. The car was just unveiled at the Japan Mobility uh, Exposition in Hiroshima. And uh, I'm not going to show you everything from the show, but I am going to show you this car because it's pretty cool. And it represents, I think, what the future could be because hydrogen is a completely renewable energy. You get, you make hydrogen from water. And when you burn it, you get carbon dioxide and water back in the exhaust. There's no carbon from it at all. And it's completely renewable and it's perpetual because as you make it and burn it, you get back the very ingredients that you need to make more of it. Some challenges for hydrogen to be sure, but I still think it might actually be the energy of the future. I've said that since I was a kid. I still believe in hydrogen. And you can gas up quickly with it, not sit there and wait for a long time. Charge like your EV does. Depends on how you use it, though. And, and in this case, I believe they are using the hydrogen to generate electricity for the vehicle. This is a hybrid concept car. And whether you agree with the technology or not, the car itself, the design, very cool. I love uh, the um, the creativity and uh, the expression, the artistry that goes into the creation of concept cars. I'm going to run this report for you now, and I'm going to shut up so I can talk again. And now a look at a new concept car from Mazda. The Mazda Iconic SP unveiled at the Japan Mobility Show in Hiroshima. And this is the Mazda Iconic SP. It represents a fresh take on the compact sports car concept designed to adapt to the evolving automotive landscape. It catered to the desires of car enthusiasts who have an affection for their vehicles and a yearning for the sheer joy of driving. One of the standout features of this concept car is its unique two-rotor rotary EV system. This innovative powertrain remains compact, offering remarkable flexibility in layout, resulting in a low center of gravity, which in turn significantly enhances the vehicle's driving performance. The car's batteries are charged by a recyclable energy source, and the two-rotor rotary engine, which is used for power generation, is powered by carbon-neutral fuels. This eco-conscious approach aligns with Mazda's corporate philosophy of enrich life in motion for those we serve. Mazda Iconic SP です。いかがですか。操る楽しさに溢れたコンパクトスポーツカーコンセプトです。私たちは国家国に強いこだわりを持っています。それは人馬一体美しい Mazda デザインの源となります。
この低いボンネットを生かした唯一無二のプロポーションそれを実現させるコンパクトでレイアウトが自由な2ローターロータリー EV システム視界の良さや理想重量配分などの運動性の所限にもこだわっています。So the Mazda Iconic SP's design focuses on achieving proportions with a low center of gravity that conveys a sense of excellent driving performance. And yes, it harkens back to that classic sports car, the RX7. The two rotor rotary EV system can burn various fuels, including hydrogen, and generates electricity. Using carbon neutral fuels. In addition, when the battery is charged with renewable energy, the car can also operate in a virtually carbon neutral state with high output, a low center of gravity, and weight distribution close to 50 50, which is ideal. The Mazda Iconic SP offers exceptional driving performance. Furthermore, despite being a sports car, it can actually serve as a power source for various applications, including. Outdoor activities when you go camping. The car's exterior body color, viola red, was carefully crafted, selected to echo Mazda's desire to cherish the color red and aligns with the corporate philosophy of enriching life and motion for those we serve. So, this unveiling, as I say, took place at the Japan Mobility Show, organized by the Japan Automobile Manufacturers Association. It's a, a tribute. To Mazda's sports car heritage and a nod to an EV future. And there you go. That's from the SST Car Show. That'll be in the next episode, but you don't need to wait because you got to see it here first. You got dibs on that. And、uh, this was just sent to me actually by Leo. Thank you, Leo. I'm going to run this here too.、Um, you know, So, a lot of people over the years have said, well, you know, this guy got killed by some company because they figured out a way to make a car run on, you know, a thousand, a thousand miles to the gallon and stuff like that. So they assassinated him.、Um, here's a clip. And I haven't heard the whole thing, but I think this is the same, something in that same sort of vein. And there is some truth to the idea that there are fuels out there that we have not really tapped into. And,、uh, and fuels out there that could be you know, very, very cheap or maybe even free in the future. But of course, they don't want us to have stuff like that because that would just、uh, free us all too much, wouldn't it? <laughs> I guess. Anyway, let's take a listen to this. Government doesn't know this, then there's something very wrong with our government. Of course, they know it. Not only do they know it, the elite knows it and the oil company knows that you can run your car and heat your house. From water, but they don't want us to know about it. So, I'm going to show you how that's possible right now. What I have here is a plumbing tube, it's empty, and I have this piece of metal、uh, put together with rubber bolts and、uh, rubber washers in between. None of the metal is touching each other, and two wires on the top. Okay. Easy thing, you can do it with a knife and fork if you want. Just stick a knife and fork in a, in a bucket of water, and, and as long as they don't touch each other, you can create hydrogen gas. So, here's the tube. I'm going to fill it up with water. So you can see that. 
hopefully that's enough. And I'm going to put this thing inside of it like this. Make sure it's, I might need a little bit more. There we go. And this thing here is a battery pack for jump starting the car. Turn this around. Turn this one around. So don't fall don't fall over. And I connect this one here and this one here. And now we have instant reaction of hydrogen and oxygen separating. Now the bubbles is actually hydrogen gas. You can see the gas coming off it. This ignites so flammable, so powerful. As you'll see, I'll try and get close in. Hopefully I can get this right. And it explodes. I'll do that right again uh, for you to see. Uh, because it generates a lot of hydrogen gas. And this could be what could be fuel in your car. And it's very easy. It's made on demand. I don't know if you could see that on the video, but there is definitely a flame and an explosion. And you can see it's, proved, it's making it pretty quick. So that's water. So we've been lied to pretty much our whole lives about pretty much everything. Yes, that's sort of true. You make hydrogen from water. If you want to make hydrogen properly, you use distilled water. So there is no, there are no minerals in it or pollutants, no chlorine and things like that. So you just start with straight H2O, just pure H2O, and then you get pure hydrogen as a result in the end. And it does work. It absolutely does work. There are some issues, some technology drawbacks or shortcomings, challenges that they've had to overcome in order to make it viable, but they have made it work. And you've seen hydrogen vehicles in places like California being tested um, on a large scale, and they are viable, but there are some issues. For instance, if you need pure water, H2O, then if you live in a place like Canada, and you have, a, have water, it's frozen in the winter, right? It's, you can't make hydrogen from ice. It has to be in a liquid state. And you can't put antifreeze in it because then you, it's contaminated. You can't get hydrogen from it properly. There are some um, things you can do to prevent the water from freezing in the winter, but that also takes energy. A friend of mine owned a company that uh, probably still does. And I worked with him for a little while. This is about probably 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, it was a hydrogen company. Well, a hydrogen technology company. He wanted to sell this technology to fleets. And so I did go to a couple of presentations with him, helped him with some of his marketing materials and so on. And the technology, which is still out there today, uh, involves putting 
a bottle of basically distilled water under the hood of your car and a device that then takes that water, converts it into hydrogen, pumps it into the fuel system, and it mixes with the gasoline vapors that are created through your fuel injection system. And then it's ignited in the combustion chamber of your car, and it increases your mileage to like insane amounts. So you get much, much better fuel economy, uh, really substantial, and uh, worked pretty well. Now, another friend of mine who um, actually just within the last couple of weeks, well, last month, has introduced me to somebody else with another company. And I've been testing a new fuel additive. And uh, you just put it in your gas tank. And I was extremely skeptical. Still am a little skeptical because I can't believe the results that I've actually seen from using it myself. But I saw fuel economy in a car that I've been testing it with go from about 22 miles per gallon to 34 miles per gallon on the highway, all highway driving to test it over exactly the same course, 22 miles per gallon to 34 miles per gallon, just by dumping a little bottle of this concentrated fuel additive into the tank of my car. That's a huge increase. And a number of people have been testing it. They're all reporting increases in mileage of between 25 and 33% which is amazing to me. So I'm waiting to get more data back from the other people testing this, but it seems to be um, a pretty standard experience that people are, are having. A little bit more power and a dramatic increase in fuel economy. So we're going to talk more about that. Um, well, I'll be talking more about it with my friend and his other business associate. And we'll see where it goes because uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive indeed. 22 to 34 miles per gallon. So as a percentage, that's huge. Anywhere from, say, 20 to 30% increase, maybe more, in fuel economy alone. And that's a very cool concept car, I would say, too. Wouldn't you? I think that thing is beautiful. The lines... And it certainly pays tribute to the old Mazda RX-7. Rotary engine. Mazda embraced that. And, uh, you know, you've got the, Mar the RX-8 out there. Very cool cars. Never owned one. I personally never really wanted one because I was always afraid of those rotary engines. Not like a standard piston-driven powertrain. But uh, the future, I don't know where it's going to go in the end. But hydrogen, that's the fuel, man. That's really the fuel because you make it from water and you get water and carbon dioxide back and that is environmentally friendly. And then you have exactly what you need to make more hydrogen in the end. Um, some technological challenges with that, but it also over the years got a bad rap, you know, because largely because of things like the Hindenburg disaster, where people in their minds, when they think about hydrogen, they'll think about the, the Hindenburg explosion because the Hindenburg was filled with hydrogen to make it lighter than air. So it would float and fly. And because it was full of hydrogen, the hydrogen, which is flammable, got the blame for the, the fire and the disaster that uh, killed so many 
when it when it crashed into that inferno, which is burned into the collective memory and psyche of people around the world. But the truth of that is that the the, the fire that you actually witnessed that was the skin mostly of the airship itself that was burning. The hydrogen, most of the hydrogen actually was released. And while some of it burned, most of it just escaped and floated up into the atmosphere and dissipated. It wasn't that the fire itself was not the hydrogen burning. That was the shell of the Hindenburg airship. And then it collapsed and, oh my God. But because of that, people today still associate hydrogen with ex an exploding airship. And in their mind, that is the horror of that is one of the things that has crippled our, um, I guess, our efforts to maybe find hydrogen as a viable energy source for the future. So now we've got Elon Musk taking us into electric vehicles, which I think is going to be the biggest environmental disaster in human history in the end because of the strip mining for the lithium and the other minerals that are needed to make all of the batteries, which we will then have trouble um, recycling or disposing of. It's going to end up in, in they're going to, we're going to end up with huge toxic waste dumps with all of these old batteries, which will leach toxic chemicals into the soil and the groundwater. And we will poison ourselves to death because we are listening still to this day to these environmental extremists who really have not thought things through carefully enough and in the end are really doing more damage to the environment than good because they do not really understand the science. But what they do understand is virtue signaling. What we really need is real solutions not a bunch of political posturing. The New World Order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The Antivirus Program. For your mind. We are Mavericks. We say no to the Trudeau and Biden New World Order. And to bugs. Because bugs are creepy and gross. And people should not eat bugs. Maverick News. The world is watching.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Sorry about that, folks. The computer is um, getting bogged down here a little bit. It's probably because I have so many different things opened up here. Speaking of cars, the future, did you know that more and more people are failing to meet their car loan payments? Yeah, new stats out. A new report from the Bank of Canada's um, from the Officials over there, the Bank of Canada, and they've released a monetary policy report alongside its latest interest rate decision. The central bank says that delinquency rates in Canada for motor vehicle loans have surpassed pre-pandemic levels. This is a very alarming thing. And this is why, you know, this this is the kind of thing. This is Canadian, but I can tell you that the situation in the States is probably similar right now okay and uh we know that people in the industry are saying the car loan and and car business car retail industry are saying that a shortage of cars over the past few years drove up prices by as much as 40 percent on new and used vehicles that was because of that computer chip shortage the supply chain issues all of that honestly created by the government during the pandemic, because of their economic policies, their, their response to the, to the pandemic. And I swear to God, they did a lot of that stuff on purpose, not because they were interested at the time in public safety. I think they were using it as a tool to drive their economic and social engineering objectives. To me, there's no question about that. Those are things that we absolutely need to be concerned about. And as the government envisions... You know, Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, when they're thinking of the future and their globalist utopia, they, with the auto industry, are thinking electric vehicles. It's time for a great reset. They've, they said so during the height of the pandemic, and they used that opportunity to forge ahead with policies that were put forward to the public as being pandemic related when in reality i think that they were policies that uh will were focused on achieving their larger socioeconomic objectives and that resulted in managed supply chains a managed centrally planned economy controlled by government controlling Every form of business, whether it was small businesses that got locked down or even corporations that they dictated to through threat of penalty, government regulation, and through incentives, through grants, tax subsidies, training subsidies, and other financial incentives, all designed to steer production in a particular way. And in the case of the auto industry, when General Motors went bankrupt, for instance, the government provided loans on condition the GM Forge Ahead 
with certain kinds of production. And today we have the proliferation and the expansion of EVs and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars being pumped into the industry and the creation of electric vehicle battery plants, all being subsidized by government, which really means us, the taxpayers. We're paying for it. We're facilitating it. It's all government, 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 government. That's not being market driven. That's being driven by government. And as a result, we ended up with vehicle shortages during the pandemic because of the government policies. That drove up the price of new vehicles, the prices of new vehicles. It destroyed much of the extended elements of the automotive industry, such as advertising, because the automakers were shipping limited inventory to dealers. Dealers were able to sell everything that they had coming in, whether they advertised it or not. It created a shortage, so it drove up prices. No more 0% financing being offered at the time on new vehicle purchases. No need to incentivize purchases if there's no competition. No competition because everybody had a vehicle shortage. And everybody had to pay manufacturers suggested retail price on all new vehicles at the time or above sticker just to get a vehicle. And what did you have to do when you ordered a car? You had to wait. Many cases you had to wait because there was no inventory on hand. So you had to wait and wait and wait. In some cases, months and months and months and months and months, and maybe even into a year in order just to get your new vehicle delivered. That is the result of a centrally planned economy. And that's what we had. Prices rose about 40%. And used vehicle prices also rose to astronomical levels. We're seeing some price corrections now and inventory levels kind of stabilizing. The supply chain sort of coming back online, but there's still issues even today. Prices still remain high and people are getting bit in the butt now. Those people who purchased vehicles during that huge price spike. And even today, because of the inflation we're experiencing, which means also higher vehicle prices for both new and used vehicles, people are getting burned by that. And in addition, the interest rates on financing and leasing cars have also gone up now, along with the Bank of Canada's increasing interest rates. Because now the government is trying to cool off the economy because you're consuming too much. You have too much. So we're going to dial it back. And what are they doing to do that? Well, they're using the single tool that they've always had in their toolbox, which is to increase interest rates, make the cost of money higher, make the cost of borrowing higher, which makes it more difficult for people to purchase new vehicles or even new homes. And they're doing it intentionally to dial back the inflation because they believe that the only way to deal with inflation is to reduce consumption, which means you have to deal with or you end up with less because their economic policies, these centrally, these people who believe in government control of the economy, they're focused on government control. They're going to control the economy by controlling demand, roll back demand, which means you can't buy as much, make things more expensive for everyone. So while they tell you, you get higher wages through an increase in the minimum wage, they've inflated the crap out of the economy by printing 
a lot of, lot of money, far too much money at increasing now interest rates on the opposite side of that to dial everything back, which means you end up with less. So they've inflated the economy, too much inflation, makes money worth less. So even though you're making more, the money you're making is worth less, which means you're no further ahead and actually further behind. And then they increase the interest rates because they say the economy now is functioning at a level that's hot, too high because prices are too high. So you actually end up with less because you can't afford to buy what you were able to buy before, even though you're making more money. But the rate of inflation has exceeded the amount of money that you actually have. And now they're telling you you have to do with even less because you're doing too well. And that's the just and true to economy. And now people are defaulting on their car loans. The entire economy is in, on, on the edge of, you know, honestly, a collapse. So regardless of what we heard from that news conference today at the White House, where they're saying, oh, no, um, unemployment is at very manageable levels, and it's far lower than, we, 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 than, than the, the naysayers were predicting even just a year ago. No, I think things are actually a lot worse than they're letting on. We're actually, I think, in a lot of trouble when it comes to the economy because the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency is in jeopardy. We're seeing digital currencies like Bitcoin being adopted in uh, places like El Salvador by some governments around the world who are trying to decouple from the U.S. dollar as the default currency, as their default currency, rejecting that and essentially asserting their independence and their sovereignty as a nation state and as a people to decouple from an international monetary system that has stifled and restricted them as a nation state in many respects by becoming decoupled from a centralized government-controlled economy. In fact, next week, we're going to, we have a, I have a special interview lined up with someone who is going to talk to us about digital currencies, Bitcoin, the new economy. And I think you'll find his insight and his predictions titillating, thought-provoking, might change your perspective a lot on the future of what the economy is supposed to be. It will change the way you look at money. I'm certain of that. If you really listen to what he has to say. So look for that next week, Monday. We'll have him on Monday. So that's coming up. But the economy, obviously not in the best of shape because we are seeing a lot of people now defaulting on credit card payments auto loans. And if we start seeing defaults on mortgage payments on any sort of scale, that could trigger a real downturn in the economy, maybe even a depression if we haven't been there already. And the prices of cars off the charts, I honestly don't know how people are getting by especially younger people because the prices of everything are just, it's just, it's off, off the charts. Haven't seen inflation like this, honestly, since the 1970s, 
in my lifetime when I was a kid, when Pierre Trudeau was prime minister, heavens, and you know, Jimmy Carter, when he was president, haven't seen it like this since then. And this is worse. This is absolutely worse. The inflation. It seems in the last few months that things have gotten a little bit better. That's because the government has started to put austerity, austerity measures in place or policies through higher interest rates and so on. But that does not help people find new jobs. I personally, personally, me, if I was in charge, I would take the opposite approach. I would grow out of the problem, grow out of it. So that people don't end up with less, you end up with more. Supply side, that's the trick. Produce more, create more abundance. More supply means lower prices. When you have more of something, the price comes down. And people prosper. People benefit because you're producing more of something. More. That's also why we need to bring production back to North America, to Canada and the United States. Actual production, actual industry. We need factories here churning out products. Because if all of the production is outsourced to places like China and, well, just pick any country around the world where we have goods produced for cheap prices and it ends up being the most expensive stuff we've ever bought in our lives, because that also fuels inflation. Because now all of the stuff you're importing is imported. It's not produced here. There's no value added. It's just straight up consumption. And now your economy is based entirely on debt. And we have a lot of that record levels of it to the point now where I don't know if it's sustainable. And if you don't think that these wars aren't related to that, give your head a shake because that is exactly why we are at war. That's one of the main reasons. It's all about the economy. It's about the dollar, the dominance of the U.S. dollar, the dominance of the United States economically. It's the United States trying to preserve its place globally as the superpower, trying to preserve its position of dominance in a unipolar geopolitical reality that is no more. Because now we have, honestly, a multipolar geopolitical situation, whether they like it or not. Many countries emerging as not only economic powers, but also as nuclear powers now. Where we had sort of a, we did after the Cold War and the Berlin Wall coming down and the breakup of the Soviet Union, many people viewed the United States as the unipolar part, the unipolar country of dominance, one country dominating everything, the only true superpower, but Russia has recovered. Now we have even Iran with potentially nuclear weapons on the horizon, China with nuclear weapons, North Korea with nuclear weapons, Russia still with its nuclear arsenal and hypersonic missiles and technology that even the United States does not have. The U.S., I'm sure, has some pretty incredible technology as well and a lot of things that we don't even know about. A lot of crazy stuff, I think, too, that we just don't know about. 
I think back to a couple of speeches that Trump made while he was president, and he made reference to technologies without being specific about it. I was surprised he even said anything about it, but I remember one speech in particular where he sat there and he said, well, he just he just said that it was just incredible, the technology that they have, and he, he couldn't tell us about it. <laughs> Why would you even mention it then? But it was like, it, it just sounded like it was something so out there that it almost sounded alien in nature, which makes me wonder if maybe it isn't alien in nature, but we don't know. I don't know. And all that talk about aliens and UFOs. I mean, I don't really put a lot of stock in that stuff, even though they had those, uh, those public hearings with very credible people sitting there listening and discussing. But I think a lot of that was political theater. Because at the end of it all, we really are no closer to the truth on that matter at all, are we? And yet we went through a couple of months of pretty heavy duty alien UFO talk and blah, blah, blah. But there's more to it than that. And that, I think, was all part about, I think it was, it was, it was all related somehow to just screwing with people's minds, I think. And now we've kind of backed away from it again. It's been put back on the shelf. We're not even hearing about it as much. But in certain, except in certain areas of, I would say alternative media online, where you still hear talk in those veins. But anyway, I digress. What I do want to do is because it's now a little after 8 p.m. is I do want to run that, uh, that one clip. And again, thank you, Leo, for sending this. I don't, this isn't necessarily news, but it is funny as heck. And I would say very, it, it's just, it's so Canadian. Since we're up here in Canada, I'm going to share it with you. And we were talking about making uh, energy from water. Well, you don't make, it's not just energy you make from water. In Canada, they make a lot of, a lot of beer too. Yes, it's true. Beer. And this is, uh. This is an old clip that I think you'll, well, I don't want that one. Keep bringing up the wrong tab. Here we go. This is funny. I hope you can see this. This is as big as I can make it. This is in Facebook Reels. So I'm just going to run it off there. Anyway, sit back and enjoy. This is just a short one precious natural spring water so that we can bring you our consumer the cleanest highest quality beer possible after all beer consists of 98 percent water arrowhead beer quality you can trust hey what the fuck are you doing what the fuck does it look like i'm doing jesus still pissed in the water what the hell do you want me to piss in the so it was off ticked. It was actually in the reels, but yeah, whatever. It's funny. I think it's funny anyway. <laughs> There's truth for you. Anyway, folks, that gets us to about 8 p.m. I'm going to wrap it up a little early again tonight. If you want to support the show, you can do that by donating at uh, freedomreporters.com. You can also donate at maverickdonations.com. Please like, share, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit the notification bell. And yeah, 
head on over to Rumble, subscribe over there. We're growing on Rumble and we need the support there. I did, I wasn't hooked up over on YouTube earlier tonight. I think we do, did finally get some viewers on there. It wasn't until the last minute that I realized it didn't hook up because we are still banned on a couple of our channels there. Um, we're just running on the number three backup channel. So if you're over there, subscribe on that YouTube channel as well. That will really help us. That's a repurposed um, platform for us so that we can continue to run on YouTube. And a few people watching on there, but nowhere near the numbers we normally get because people are having some trouble finding us. So maverickdonations.com, freedomreporters.com. Like, share, subscribe. You can still uh, donate over on the Rumble Rants as well, which works like the Super Chats over on YouTube. Um, you guys, you're the only source of support we have to keep this thing going. So, uh, you know, truth, real truth, not just politically motivated truth. I'm trying to bring you actual truth. Everybody uses that word so loosely these days. It's hard to know who's telling you the truth and who isn't, I guess. But uh, you know what my pledge is to you, and that is to always try to get you closer to the truth through free speech, free media. And that's what we're all about here. And uh, to do that, we just simply need your help because we're not monetized in any other way except for the little bit that we do get from Rumble, which is about a dollar ninety-five, and uh, not very much. It really doesn't pay, and uh, demonetized everywhere else. And it's solely up to you, the viewers, to keep this whole thing going. We will be back tomorrow night, six p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, everybody, for joining me here on the program. An absolute privilege as always. Love you guys. Catch you tomorrow on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.